0: Never enough time to pray. I feel like we could, do, we could do this for hours and still not cover any ground whatsoever. But man, praise God for the time that we have. Um, so we're going to be in, in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, when I was young, I grew up going to church. Um, and it was common after church for us to uh, go out to eat, okay? And so uh, a lot of you probably do this. You probably have some sort of post-church eating ritual that you do um you know we were pretty poor growing up and so it was my mom and and my my three siblings single mom raising three kids and so we didn't eat out like really ever and so the whole Sunday after church business that was a big deal for us and what we would do is we would go to Wendy's because Wendy's had the 99 cent menu right and so it was like chicken nuggets, uh, fries, junior bacon cheeseburgers. All of these things were 99 cents. And so for, for me and, and my brother and sister, it was like, you know, this was a real treat. This, we took this pretty seriously. And um, so one, one time after church, we went to Wendy's. This is when Wendy's was brown. Everything inside the Wendy's was brown. You guys remember those days? They also had the... Uh, the like the 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 window area that was like always a thousand degrees hotter than the rest of the restaurant. Remember that it was like a dome inside, Wendy's. You remember this? Yeah. but that's what I, I remember. I remember Wendy's being dated, a very dated place. Okay, so brown and yellow and the weird window. But I love the chicken nuggets. So we're there. We're hanging out at Wendy's, and uh, so we pray before our meal, and we eat our meal. And uh, near the end of our time, someone uh, that worked at Wendy's showed up with a tray uh, full of ch- uh, chocolate malts and said, hey, you know, someone bought this for you and they wanted me to tell you uh, that, that they were just pleased to see a family praying together. Okay? And that was, that was amazing. This was like, this was the best, right? So, I, obviously, I was, I was stoked that something uh, that we did every Sunday at lunch somehow magically produced chocolate uh, malts. And so, from, from this moment on at Wendy's, I was sure that we prayed before every meal, like scanning the room, making sure people are watching us, being spiritual. But but you know I was I was about ten years old at the time, and in my ten-year-old mind, you know, I, I began to reverse engineer that experience and uh, ask myself why would someone reward us for what, in my mind, was not an exceptional activity? Uh, why would we why would we be uh, rewarded for something that was just uh, commonplace or what I felt like should have been commonplace? But from someone's perspective that day. What, were we, what we were doing was noteworthy, right? Someone who was observing what was going on, it was noteworthy to them. It was a big deal to them, so much so that they, you know, they dropped the eight or nine dollars it took to, to buy the, the chocolate malts. But then I began to think, you know, and I, I began to consider, culturally speaking, um, that Christians must not be praying as much as I imagine that they did. Like, in order for this to be exceptional to someone, that must mean, in their mind, that this is rare, that this is something that people don't do very often. Now, in retrospect, I understand that Christians aren't praying the way that they should. I know that now, and the 41-year-old version of me knows that people don't pray the way that they ought. They don't pray enough, and the quality of their prayer life is obviously weak, and I know this to be true in my own life. That, that includes me. And I don't think that we pray the way that we should for at least two reasons that we're going to learn about tonight in Daniel chapter 6. Two common weaknesses that I, that I hope to address tonight as we enter into two weeks of prayer and fasting. I believe that these are two areas that we should confront before we devote ourselves in prayer in the coming weeks. And so let's pray briefly and then we'll jump into Daniel chapter 6. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this, this time that we have together with our family. Lord, I'm always so grateful to be here on a Tuesday night. It is truly a special time for our church. Lord, I'm thankful for our pastors and our leaders and those that are are, are here and uh, just vulnerably sharing uh, the needs of their fellowship uh, to get the prayer requests from the pastors and And to consider all the needs that that this church faces. It's humbling. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to pray over these things, the things that we're lifting up tonight throughout the week, that we would really take these things serious. Um, We often take notes, but but Lord, I I know that if any of these people are like me, uh, I struggle to reference them throughout the week and actually continue to lift them up. And so I pray that you would help us in this area. Lord, would you, uh, Lord, draw our hearts to the work of prayer. Would you, would you challenge us and provoke us to take prayer more seriously and, and to take it serious the way we see Daniel taking it seriously? And so we're asking for your help tonight. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this point in Daniel chapter 6, at this point in the book of Daniel, Daniel's faith has been tested time and time again, over and over again. Even up to this point in the story, we have seen Daniel continually challenged in his faith. And each time he's tested, it only proves God's faithfulness to him, whether refusing to eat the ritualized food of the king's uh, table, and then only being, uh, you know, made to be fatter and stronger than all the other servants of the king's household, or being afraid to interpret the, the, uh, I'm sorry, unafraid to interpret the king's dreams and Despite not knowing how he might respond to the unfavorable interpretations of those dreams, he did it anyway. He was faithful to do that. His faithfulness to God only resulted time and time again in blessing and promotion in the kingdom of Babylon and Persia. When we find Daniel in chapter 6, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar has, has long passed at this point, point. And, and Daniel has served in Babylon and now Persia for 70 years He's an old man at this point. He's, he's governed uh, alongside at least three kings at this point. He's seen every leadership style that, that, that exists. He's, he's been through all kinds of turmoil. And he's, you know, if I was Daniel at this point, after serving for 70 years, I would be ready to retire to the coast of the Persian Gulf you know i would be ready to settle down and not you know be encumbered by all of this political business but what we find instead is that king darius the new king is now in charge and he's reorganizing the government strategically positioning daniel as one of three presidents overseeing hundreds of princes so so at the point that he should be retiring He's being made to do probably the greatest work that he's ever yet to do. He's got the most power that he's probably ever had at this very point. And, and he's got a lot of favor with Darius. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says this, "...it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three, over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them and the king should have no damage. So Daniel is is like the second in command in the entire Persian empire. Verse three says this, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And this goes back to what we were just talking about. How, How many of us have an excellent spirit in us? So much so that people want to hear us preach the gospel. We need to have an excellent spirit as well. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the presidents and the princes, they were jealous. They were jealous of Daniel. And these, these princes over the kingdom probably despised Daniel's power for several different reasons. First of all, he was old. And so, you know, there's a probably a lot of, of older people in our congregation who know what it feels like to be prejudiced against because of your age and, and probably it had something to do with how old he was. In their minds, he was probably a second-class Jewish exile, right? That's probably how they thought of him. A holdover from the Babylonian regime and only came to power in this instance simply because of the virtue of his reputation. That he was old, he was washed up, he's one of those old Jewish uh, uh, exiles that got carried over and and he was one of the eunuchs and he just rose up to power and he's probably washed up and, and he's only here because of his name, because of his past, and these men wanted to find a way to have him removed. And they looked at his life and they said, we can't find any error or fault in him. And so the easiest way to, to, to condemn him or plot against him was to find fault as it regards his faith. And so to his enemy's great frustration, the only weakness that they could find was Daniel's faithfulness in obedience to God and his fellowship with God, the creator of the universe. So his greatest strength in this instance became his greatest weakness. Often, oftentimes, I believe that it's, that it's the greatest strengths in God's economy that are also the greatest weaknesses in the world. And so they used that to their advantage. These guys, they didn't like him. They decided to conspire against him. And we see this in Verse six, then these presidents and princes assembled together uh, to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. And so here's their plan. Part one of their plan was to propose a law that plays on the pride of King Darius. And if you know anything about kings, you know that the, the one weakness of any king or any president or any ruler is that they're proud people. It'd be very easy to be tempted in the area of pride. And Darius was no different. And so they appealed to his pride by saying, look, <laughs> no one for 30 days, you are such a, a wonderful and glorious king. For 30 days, no one should be allowed to ask any God a petition or prayer or any person seek, it. you know, this would go as far as saying uh, a child asking their mother for, uh, for you know, uh, some food. No one's allowed to ask anyone anything except to you because you are King Darius and we love you and we think you're so wonderful. And so King Darius heard that. And so part two of their plan was to establish a law that that was certain to entrap Daniel specifically. Because they knew that he was a prayer warrior, they addressed him at the habit of his prayer. They knew that this was something that he would be doing and doing regularly. And so they established and created a law that was certain to foil him. And then part three was to establish the law that had the harshest punishment possible. They didn't want to just imprison him. They didn't want to just exile him. They wanted to see him put in the lion's den. They wanted to see him dead. And so the law was this. Over the next 30 days, all prayers or requests are outlawed except those directed to Darius. And it works. It works. It works. Darius loves this idea. He's not thinking it through, but he he loves this idea. What a a wonderfully strange thing to see such unity among his political leaders. And so he wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agrees. They had succeeded. Their plan was working. They had entrapped him. And they knew it was just a matter of time that they would catch him in the act. And so verse 10 says the following. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his king as he did aforetime. So Daniel, Daniel doesn't play when it comes to prayer. He's not messing around. And if we look at Daniel's situation and we consider his prayer life, I think we can discover at least two things that would help us as we enter into two weeks of prayer. And the first thing is this. If prayer is as important as it should be, nothing will distract from it. If prayer is as important as it should be, if communing with God, the creator of the universe, is as important as it should be, then there will be nothing in our life that distracts from that work. Listen, Daniel is a busy man. And let's face it, he's like 80 or 90 years old at this point. Now, in, in America, political uh, world, that would be just like he would be hitting his prime at 80 or 90, right? That's how we do it around here. But, 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 but let's be honest, anybody that age, it's taking them a little bit longer to get up in the morning. It takes him a little longer to do just about everything, okay? And he's got to be tired, and he probably goes to bed about the time Kenny Morgan does. <laughs> he hits the hay at like 6, 6.30, depending on how heavy dinner was that night. But it's going to take him a little bit longer to get his presidential tasks done, But listen, no matter how how busy Daniel was, no matter how much responsibility was turned over to him, he always made prayer a priority. Always. So much so that his prayer life had become predictable. His enemies could predict the fact that he was going to pray multiple times a day. They They could set their watches to it. This is how this is this is I want to point out real quick briefly, this is not part of the main point, but listen, this is how our enemy thinks too. The enemy is targeting our prayer life. He might not be able to criminalize prayer, but he fills our life with so much activity and so much busyness that he de incentivizes prayer in our life. And it begins to lose all of its priority. Prayer must be a priority in our lives, which is why 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. See, that's God's way of saying that fellowship with him must be the highest priority in our life. When he says pray without ceasing, that's very simple language for make this time with me a big deal. Make talking with me a big deal. Make it essential to your life. Look, the only thing I know I do conscientiously uh, without ceasing is probably, well, I can't really think of anything. I mean, I I tried to think, you know, breathing doesn't count because I I, I don't do that conscientiously. It just kind of happens, right? I just kind of breathe. Now I can like kind of stop breathing for a second. But then even if I pass out, I just go right back to breathing, right? So, like, so there's things that I do that I I believe that I, I believe that I have control over in my life, but really, to be honest, there's not anything that I do subconsciously that I can just stop doing. My blood pumps. There's things happening all the time, but I tried to think of the things that I can cease to do, the things that I stop doing regularly. Okay, so for instance. I, I work, I work really hard, by the way, just if Sam's watching, I work really hard <laughs> all the time. I'm, I'm working, but then I take, I take time to rest, particularly on Mondays, right? I'm very conscientious about ceasing the work. It's a decision I make, it ceases, okay? I eat food. I eat food and then I cease eating food. There comes a point where I'm full and I'm done and I cease doing it and then I go about burning that food in terms of energy, right? Food, work, rest, these are all priorities of my life. But if we are spiritually honest with ourselves, these things are nothing compared with prayer. And this is why the act of fasting is so beneficial to believers. This is why fasting has to be be a discipline that we implement. Because fasting is the deliberate ceasing of things that appear to be a priority and and choosing to minimize them for the sake of communing with God. See, fasting declutters your life so that there's more room for prayer. That's what it does. That's what we need to be about. We need to be about the work of decluttering our lives, setting aside the things that we think are priority, whether it be a meal, whether it be entertainment, whether it be an activity that we do, setting those things aside so that we can make prayer the main thing in our lives. And so Daniel teaches us that all the, uh, the, the, the distractions of life are only just distractions. That's all that they are that all the, 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 the business of his politics and his activities day to day, that these things were just activities intended to be organized around fellowship with God. Never to usurp it, never to take its place. All of the busyness, no matter how important it seemed to be, it was only just activity that worked around his, his community with God. Does that make sense? And so when we think that way, then nothing will distract from prayer. Here's the other thing. If prayer is as important as it should be, then it will be brazen. It will be unabashed. It will be shameless. Let's look again at, at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. This is the most holy way a person could possibly say, take this job and shove it. Right? So there's not enough people to listen to old country around here. right? But this this is literally the holiest way that he could go about saying that. He was unconcerned with the job. He was concerned with God. And so Daniel sets the standard for us in terms of sh- shameless fellowship with God. This is this is so many of us refuse to pray in our workplace. We don't pray with our neighbors. We don't ask our family members if they need prayer. We don't don't weep with people on a Tuesday night. We don't don't pray at Wendy's with our family. And the question is, are we going to let the world dictate to us what is and isn't appropriate forms of prayer etiquette? We, we, We let society tell us what is and isn't acceptable in terms of worshiping and fellowshipping with our God. And those pressures... They cause us to cower in prayer. You know, after having walked uh, away from the Lord in my teenage years, um, near the end of high school, I came back to the Lord. I had uh, several friends that influenced me in this way, and, and I came back to the faith. and I, A lot changed in a very short period of time. And so some of you know what it's like. You know, you're living in the world, and then you come to Christ, and, and something needs to change. And, and so a lot of things were chap, uh, changing in my 17-year-old world. And one of those things, when I, was, I was changing the friends that I hung around, and I, I began hanging around Christians. And I remember uh, very clearly one night being with a bunch of Christian friends. And we were talking. It was a public place. I, I, you know, I, I can't remember exactly where we were, we're at, but, but it was a public place. We may be getting, we're getting ice cream or something like that. It was a Friday night. We were hanging out. And we were talking, and, and I was sharing some things that were going on in my life. And I was trying to be honest with them and, and, and open and vulnerable, and, and I wanted them to hear me. And, and the thing I wanted to hear was what Christians often say to one another. And they often say this, oh, I'll be praying for you, brother. I'll be praying for you, sister. That's what I wanted to hear. But what I heard instead was, well, let's pray. Let's pray about that. Let's stop what we're doing right this moment and let's pray. And that, you know, that was difficult for me in that moment. I I, I remember looking around and being concerned about what people might have thought about us bowing our heads in prayer. I mean everything that I could have learned at Wendy's at age ten, come to find out I had learned nothing. I was a babe in Christ all over again. And I remember I remember bowing my head in prayer with my friends. And I want to tell you this, it was one of the most liberating moments of my entire life. Because when In that moment, I I realized that fellowship with God was so good that it required no apologies and no social considerations. I didn't need to ask permission from anyone to pray to my God. I didn't need to worry about what anyone thought or how they might be judging me. And I think I think some of us need to experience that same kind of liberation and prayer in our lives. And as we enter this season of prayer and fasting, I want to challenge you to be more attentive in prayer than you usually are. And by that, I mean less distracted. Choose to make prayer a priority. Don't make fasting some sort of thing that you add to your life. Well, oh, yeah, I'm fasting this week. And so you like you skip the meal, but you, you never pray. You, 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 you don't turn Netflix on, but you don't use that time to sit down with your wife and kids and call upon the Lord for the things that are of greatest necessity. So let's be attentive in this season of prayer. Let's not be distracted and, and, and let's be brazen in our prayer. Let's, let's be shameless in our prayer. Let's be public with our prayer. Let's go let's let's go public with prayer. People are always going public with stuff. Every other week, someone's coming out of the closet on national news. You know? It's crazy. I won't, I want to get into that. But like let's let hey, let's 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 let's, let's also come out. But let's come out as prayer warriors. Let's start asking the people that we work with whether or not they need prayer for something. I remember I remember, um, I remember a, a, a young man that James and I ministered to a long time ago in the checkpoint days. We were probably 19, 20. Well, I was 19, 20. You were like probably 23 or 24. I always like to point out that James is a little, a little older than me by a couple years. But, but there was a guy that we ministered to, and I remember one night James and I asking him, it was after, after church had let out, if there was anything he needed prayer about. And for many years, he, would, he came to Christ shortly after that. James led him to the Lord. But he came out and said to us often that it was the fact that we asked him whether or not he needed prayer that began to alter his view of God and he began to see that this Christianity thing was real. Because listen to me, if we believe, here, let's th- here's the honest truth, this is what it comes down to. If we honestly believe that we can talk with God, but then we don't go around asking people if they have prayer requests, then how, how invalid does our faith look to the lost world? Like if we actually believe that we know the living God, but then we don't go around and say, hey, is there anything you need prayer about? Because I'm gonna talk with God this afternoon and I was curious if you needed any requests made. Like if we don't do that, then what is our faith? (laughs) What is our faith? We need to learn to be more open and and brazen in the way that we pray. And And I wanna go a bit further. I wanna ask, if you aren't willing to pray this way, then maybe you aren't the type of person who believes that God can deliver you from the lion's pit. Maybe your faith is too small. And so with that, I want to invite the the worship team up and I I, want to pray that the next two weeks uh, that your time in fellowship with God would be some of the sweetest that you've ever had. That you would meet with him genuinely in his word and that you would pray in a way that's prioritized, that's serious. you take it serious. And you'd become the prayer warrior that you're supposed to be and that it would affect your entire life, that it would change everything. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this great people. It's always so humbling to speak in front of them. I'm always so nervous um, when I get up here and get behind those lights and I see all the faces and God, it's but it is a privilege. Um and uh, Lord, I pray that what we talked about tonight, that it actually would have value, um, that, that, that I didn't actually get in the way, that, that my stumbling lips didn't prevent people from hearing, that the Lord people uh, saw the testimony clearly of Daniel and they yearn, they yearn even right now for a prayer life that looks like that, that their hearts would, would be provoked, stirred, to take prayer seriously, that this season of fasting would be something that they're looking forward to, that they're not, that they're not discouraged about or frustrated by or that, that, they're, you know, that, that it would, they're hoping that it would pass quickly. But Lord, instead, that they would invite it and find it to be exciting and, and special, a special time. So Lord, be at work in our lives and use this time, this season, to, to, to bear great fruit in this congregation. We're trusting in you. We need you. You are our only hope. You are our only peace. You are our only comfort. You are the only power. You are the only virtue. There is no virtue in us. You are the only virtue that we, that we know. And so help us to be virtuous in prayer. We pray in Christ's name, amen.